So welcome to the health simulator. We just keep it good and hot, make sure you never want to go there, right? You're like, man, it's hot here. I don't want to go there. Um, I, I was, as I was preparing for this week, um, these four weeks of focus, you, how many of you are distracted easily? Um, like, you remember that little button we talk about, the, um, the ADOS button? Attention deficit, ooh, shiny. Remember that button? Um, <laughs> Like, how many, I mean, our world is distracted. Have you noticed this? Um, like, I was looking at some stats. So distraction often leads to stress. 83% of adults. Um, so if we're looking at this, let's say just this crowd, right? Um, that's kind of like everybody except for y'all. 83% of adults are stressed at, at their job. Yeah, don't say it out loud. <laughs> I can't be stressed at my job because I'm like, anyway. Wait, if I'm stressed at my job, it's because of Never mind. Get this. 90%, 90% of adults experienced stress over money in the last month. Where are you? Let me see your hands. Okay, so we're a little lower here, right? 90% of adults in the last month experienced stress. Um, these are a little bit better, but the next two things that people feel stress over are family relationships, which is funny for me to say that on the weekend of the 4th, right? Because some of you were with family yesterday, and you're like, dear God, I'm glad that's over. Um, one out of every two adults feel stress over family relationships, and one out of two adults feel stress over their health. I mean, like, we're, okay, job, money, family, health. That's like it, isn't it? Like, that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of, of distraction. Um, maybe you could think of some more things that you're juggling right now or that you have juggled in the past, things that are overwhelming you. Um, there's nothing wrong with multitasking. How many of you um, left iPhone and went to an Android just because they were the first on the way for the multitasking, right? Like, um, everybody thinks multitasking is so great. You know what they found? Like, you don't get a lot done when you multitask. You, you actually, you do a lot of good, a lot of things on, like, in an average way, but you don't do anything really, really well. You actually get more done, better work done when you focus on one thing. If we know anything about God, we know that God wants to be the one thing, right? That's what he desires. Uh, the beauty in this month of focus is, is not that we just, for one month, like, take our eyes off all the things that we're juggling so that we're, oh, I just love Jesus, and things are just crashing to the floor. That's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is to take, take a month and remember, wait a second, like, this stuff might be important, but that's not the most important thing. The, the one thing, what is the one thing that God wants us to be focused on? If we could figure that out today, the next three weeks, it, it could last us well beyond the end of July, right? It could change our entire world. I'm going to give you the big idea right up front. Big idea, if you're here for the first time, is my admission that you won't remember half of what I say. So if you can just remember this one sentence, then you got it, right? So here's, here's your big idea. You're jotting that down on your note sheet. This is what you want to write down. When we're focused on one thing, we won't be distracted by everything. When we're focused on one thing, we won't be distracted by everything. So I want to ask this question. What are we supposed to be, what are we supposed to be focused on? What is our one thing? And, and if I can, at the risk of being negative, you're never supposed to start messages negative, right? But can we just be honest? I want to show you what the one thing is we're supposed to do, and I want to show you why, as North American Christians, we're failing miserably. Is that, that's a terrible way to start, isn't it? 
I'm talking to you and you're a failure. Let me just show you that, okay? The one thing we're supposed to focus on and, and the one reason why we're failing, here's the one thing. Turn to Matthew 28, 19 or pull out your Android or your iPhone, your device and, and get up there. Matthew 28, 19. This is the one thing. We're only supposed to be doing one thing and here's what it is. Matthew 28, 19. Now this is at the end of Jesus' time on earth, he's already been to the cross. He's already been resurrected. He's, he's getting ready to ascend back up, a big pyrotechnic light show, and he's up in heaven again. And this is what he says to his disciples. Um, I know verse 19 is up there. I'm going to read to you verse 18. Here's what he says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's really important, okay? So the context of what we're going to read is from a man who has all authority. Now, some of you are married to people who want to believe that they have all authority and might actually carry them as if they do. Some of you work for bosses who believe that they have all authority, which is why 83% of you are stressed at work, right? Um, But Jesus actually had all authority, right? So when he says, all authority is given to me, that means the next words that are going to come out of his mouth, we should do what to? Listen, pay attention, this is important. And here's what he says. Therefore, because when you see therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? Therefore, go and make disciples. That's it. That's, that's the one thing. Um, I'm glad that most of the kids are in Kid City because parents, can we just be honest? When you ask your kids to do one thing, and then you come home and they've done everything but the one thing. Um, what comes out of your mouth is stuff like, you had one job. <laughs> you had one thing to do. And like, but I did everything else, but you failed. If you're following along with the focus devotions, this morning we, we wrote about obedience, right? And there's this story in the Bible where where Saul was asked to do something. And instead of giving God full obedience, he gave him a little obedience and a really big offering. And the words that he heard back were, to obey is better than sacrifice, right? you got one thing to do. We've got one job. I do not ever want to stand in front of the throne of God and have him look at me and say, you had one thing to do. One. Why, why didn't you do it? Well, but, but, Lord, I did, I did this, and, and I did this, and this is going to get really heavy here because the, the this and the this that we read about in Matthew 7 are good things. Like, I, I healed the sick, and I gave to the poor, and, and, I, and I did all these things. And what did Jesus say? He said, depart from me because I never knew you. And that's Bible speak for you had one job. One. You did everything else, but you didn't do the one thing. That I told you to do. What did he tell us to do? He said, go and make disciples. You're going to see throughout this month, if we're making disciples, then those disciples make disciples who make disciples. And it goes on and on and on. So instead of saying, disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, at the gathering we've created a word. Like, it's not a real word. We just made it up and it's disciplers. You can look it up in the dictionary. It won't be there. But you get the picture, man. We want people to be disciplers. Because God's called us to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. 
It means that following Jesus would last more than one generation. And if we're really, really honest, most of us have a hard enough time making our own discipleship last week to week. And it's a terrible way to start the message. But you got to see, like, this is the one thing we're supposed to do. And most of us, it's, it's all we can do to just consistently follow Jesus ourselves, let alone make sure that the next generation does it, and the next generation does it, and the next generation does it. It begs the question, why are we failing so much at the one thing? The only thing, can I just, um, this is way too honest, and you'll find another church, but the, the crazy thing was, like, this week as I'm preparing a message on focus, I think I played two dots more than any other week in my life. It's a f- game on the phone. It's just like, God, like, what do you want me to say to the church? I'm pretty sure I need to try to beat this level. <laughs> God, I'm out of lives. Okay, God, like, back to the passage. I mean, it was crazy, like, all week long. Do you see, like, now you're going to get a good message because I did eventually focus, right? But we're so, like, if I got to heaven and God was like, dude, you rocked two dots. Like, I gave you the power of the Holy Spirit. I gave you a mind that was active and sharp, and you could figure out how to make a square. Like, dude, amazing, the best two-dot player ever. He's not going to say that. He's going to say, seriously, you squandered your life away playing two dots? I gave you one task to do. We've got to ask ourselves the question, why, if we only have one thing to do, why in the world are we failing? And, and we're going to spend our time in Mark chapter 8. You can go ahead and turn there. Mark chapter 8. How many of you heard the expression that um, wise men learn from their mistakes? But wiser men learn from someone else's mistake, right? So this morning we're going to learn a little bit about this from Peter. Because Peter was a big blustery dude that made tons of mistakes and so we can learn from him this is great so we're going to be in mark chapter 8 verse we're going to be in verse 27 so we'll start um what we're going to read here is what what you could call a watershed moment um how many have heard that expression watershed moment you know what that is a watershed moment is 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 a pivotal turning point it's when everything changes and what it literally means is i learned this this week is that if you go up into the high parts of the mountains you can eventually get to the ridge of the mountain and so when rain falls there, depending on which side it falls on, that's the course it's taking. Like, water can't get halfway down the mountain and go, I don't like this. You turn, let's try the other side, right? So a watershed moment is something that is so pivotal that what happens at that spot affects everything else. And this, what we're going to read this morning, this is a watershed moment. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and he asks him this question. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on the, to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? This has nothing to do with the message, but let me just ask you this question. How many of you were on the way with Jesus? It didn't say that they went to a church and pulled up a lot of chairs And sat down so that Jesus could say, I have a lesson for you. Who do people say that I am? It's just on the way. I'm just hanging out. Just walking to where they're going. Journeying with Jesus. He said, hey, who do people say that I am? Are you journeying with Jesus like that? 
I mean, is your entire Christian existence church? Do you have to come here to hear? And if that's the case, nothing wrong with it, but if that's the case, we've, we've missed something critical. On the way, he asked him, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. And here's the watershed moment. Verse 29, Jesus turns, and it's a game-changing question. What about you? Who do you say? That I am. It's the only question that changes everything. Who do you say that I am? Peter's response changed it all. Peter answered, you are the Christ. Man, we, we fail at the one thing that we've been called to do as long as we can't answer that question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Um, I've, I've got some, I brought a video, we're going to show it, just, just so you can see how, how crazy the answers can be. Some, some guy went out on the streets of New York City and just asked that question, who is Jesus? And this is what he came up with. So, um, do you notice how shaky some of those answers were? If you've ever built a house or had a house built, you wouldn't want to build your house on a shaky foundation, right? And, and so there's no way in the world, and, and listen, if we could just be, talk to people and they would be really, really honest. I watched a couple of videos I didn't show you, but they asked people, who is Jesus? And these, these people were like, uh, um, he's, uh, and they would turn to their friend and go, and I, like, I go to church, I think I should know this, right? Like, this is not just people who don't go to church. This is America. Like, this, is, this is our nation. This is people that actually have been to church, go to church. If I put a mic in your face and said, who is Jesus? You may also find yourself going, uh, little baby Jesus? The point here is this. We can talk all day long about making disciples, but to make a disciple, you've got to be one. You've got to know what you're teaching. Shaky answers like that will never get it done. When we're sure, when we're sure, when we lay to rest any doubt about who Jesus is, when we've made him Lord, the answer to that question, but who am I to you? And some of you don't know me that well, so this won't be as, as um, odd to you, but like, those people trying to disciple somebody about Jesus would be like, like me trying to teach you how to rebuild a car engine. Like, you're not going to have a car that runs, right? I'll be like, that thingamajig plugs into the other thingamajig, and something's going to crank, and there's a wheel. <laughs> See, she knows how I, I know nothing about cars. Here's one of the craziest things. I, I want to make sure that um, you see how this, how this, question and how Peter's answer changed everything. I got on Google this week and I just typed in, you know, Harmony of the Gospels and I found a website that has, like, a Harmony of the Gospels is it t basically takes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and it shows you in chronological order how all the events happened. 
And so I got really curious, and I started, I found this watershed moment, and I counted from this moment backwards and from this moment forwards. And here's what I found, and this is really critical. I found that Jesus did three times as many miracles before this event as he did after. Now, I might have missed one or two spots, right? But what I counted was 31 times before this moment, Jesus performed signs and wonders and miracles. And only 11 times, including the resurrection, after this moment, did Jesus perform miracles. Something changes when we say, you are the Christ. You're the one. I don't need to look anymore. I'm all in on you. Something changes. God begins to be able to show himself through us instead of having to always show himself to us. We become convinced. And, and what I love is after this moment, when they stopped talking about what everybody else thought, and Jesus said, forget those people for a second, what about you? That when they answered, you're the Christ, he didn't have to convince them any longer who he was. I think maybe, maybe part of the problem Maybe why the church fails at making disciples is because we're still not really convinced who Jesus is. We think he might be the cool dude as the bobblehead that's nodding in the car. We, he, we think he might just be my homeboy, right? Me and Jesus got a thing, right? I don't know. I think he's more than that. I think he's the Messiah. I think he's the Christ. And what's crazy is, Peter says, you are the Christ. Jesus warns him not to tell anyone about him, which is kind of weird. Like, you're the Christ. Don't evangelize. Sounds like Acts, doesn't it? Go tell the whole world, but wait. Jesus is always doing that kind of stuff. It's weird. You got it, man. I'm the Messiah. Shh. And why are you telling him to be quiet? Look at the next verse. He then began to teach them. Ha Listen. And maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I was raised in a church. And this is kind of who I am and what I saw as I was growing up. But I see the American church, people just bouncing all around trying to find that really elusive magic button. Like if I could just hear this certain speaker and he'll just say a certain phrase, that's going to be it. And my life's going to be fixed. No, your life is fixed the minute that you say Jesus is Lord. That's it. It doesn't mean we don't keep learning, but what we, what we find out here is before Jesus was Lord for Peter, there was a lot of show and miracles and signs. But when Peter said, you are the Christ, then Jesus began to teach them. We're going to fail at the one thing we've been asked to do by God if we don't resolve in our hearts that he's Lord. Not what other people think. God, do you, if our mission hinges on what other people think, we will cater to every fad, to every feeling. We'll, we'll be the church that polls people. I don't want a politician like that. I sure don't want a pastor like that. I want somebody who knows the truth. And can say it, regardless of whether people like it or not. It's, it's not accidental that the first thing Jesus begins to teach them after they have this watershed moment is, I'm going to go die, and by the way, there's your cross, pick it up and come with me. 
focus is what gives us that resolve. Let me give you a couple things you can write down, just little phrases to remember. Because settling the matter of Jesus as Lord is the only thing that will lay a solid foundation for a lifetime of being a discipler. And here's why. Going all in on God allows God to pour all into us. Okay, so we've reached the part of the message where I say things and you either throw stuff at me or you, or you really begin to pray and ask God, is he talking to me? All right? You wonder why your walk with Jesus feels shallow and shaky and on this week and off the next. And the answer is simple. He's not your Lord. He's not your Lord. If I can so easily move in and out of intimacy and a relationship with Jesus, he's not my Lord. Now, are there times that it's hard to follow Jesus? Absolutely. And when Peter actually took up his cross and followed him in death and hung upside down and was crucified that way because he didn't want to be like Jesus, did he enjoy that? No. Did he wrestle with it? No. He's like, I don't really want to die this way, but it's not really my call because Jesus is Lord. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. And I love, um, I don't know if you kept your finger in Matthew, the Great Commission. I love this. Look who Jesus gave the Great Commission to. Matthew 28, real quick. Just so I can make you feel a little bit better about what I just said. Because right now you're like, he just said I don't love Jesus. I didn't say that. I said he's not your Lord. A lot of people love Jesus in the Bible. They just didn't follow him. Matthew 28, look at verse 16. This is after the resurrection. Again, he's getting ready to leave. He, then the 11 disciples, because he'd lost one because Judas betrayed him. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Look at this next verse, verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So, just don't raise your hand. In that one sentence, but some, some, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Which one do you resonate with right now, Right? And here's what I'm going to submit to you. That's, that's just a momentary deal. If you could have gone back the next week, the people that were doubting this time were probably being worshiping, and the people that were worshiping might have been doubting, but they were all still there. And the beauty of it is this. Even the ones that doubted got told the Great Commission. He didn't go, okay, listen, the worshipers on this side, all the doubters on this side, y'all talk amongst yourselves, I got something important to say, go and make disciples. No, he had worshipers, he had doubters, he had some that were, they were all in, and some were like, eh, I think I'm all in, but I'm not quite sure yet. Can I touch your, can I touch them one more time, the side, the wounds? To all those people, he said, I got one thing for you, go make disciples. And I love that. When, when he is appearing to disciples after the resurrection, and he shows up one time, and Thomas isn't there. And they tell Thomas later on, Jesus is alive. And Thomas goes, unless I can touch his hands and put my fist in his side, I ain't believing nothing. So what did Jesus do, kick Thomas out? No, Jesus shows up again. He has another post-death resurrection party, right? Like they're all hanging out going, what are we going to do? And Jesus goes, ta-da. And he walks right up to Thomas, and he says, hey, Thomas, touch it. 
Take your whole fist. Reach in there and grab a kidney. And Thomas didn't do it. You know what Thomas said? Thomas said, my Lord and my God. See, look, you can doubt all day long. You can doubt whether or not you're going to follow through. But what you can't doubt is, is he Lord? When we waver on that, we're never going to be able to be successful making disciples. Because if I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm following him and teaching you to follow him while you're kind of following me. Like, come on, let's go. And there's no way I'm asking you to go all in on something that I'm not sure that I'm all in on. It's like people that try to sell you timeshare. Next time you hang out for the 30-minute presentation, it's hour three. And they're like, dude, you going to sign on the dotted line? Ask them this question. Do you have a timeshare? With my kids, this is going to sound like I'm a bad parent, so you know me, right? And we'll still be married. Okay. <laughs> when my kids were much, much younger... And we went to the dentist one time. By the way, if you're, if you're a dentist or work in the dental field, we love you. Okay, it's just my, this is my experience. It doesn't have to be true. Just my experience. And they, came, they said, what you need for your kids are these things called sealants. I was like, is that like toothpaste? No, no, no. no. Sealant. It's like this thing we put on their teeth to keep them from getting pre-cavities. Like, is this like a pre-pre-engagement ring? <laughs> What's going on here? Like, okay, I'll think about it. How much do sealants cost? And they said $25. I was like, 25 bucks for the whole mouth? No, 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 $25 a tooth. I got three kids, and so we did a little quick math. It was, um, it was like a car, you know. <laughs> and they were making us feel really bad because we didn't want to do sealants for our kids. Now, if you did sealants, that's fine, but I'm just telling you what we did, right? And so as we're trying to make the decision, I turned to the dental assistant and said, how have the sealants worked for your kids? And she said, my kids don't have them. And I said, I don't need them. <laughs> don't sell me something that's not in your kid's mouth. Right? Why is the church failing at making disciples? Because we're not all in on it yet. We're still not sure. Why are you not making disciples? Because you don't really want them in your life. Because they might see that you're not quite perfect. That you haven't got it all figured out. Jesus said to those that worshiped and to those that doubted, go make disciples. Your doubt does not let you off the hook from his command. Go make disciples. That's all we're supposed to do. You got one job. Let's go do it. When he's Lord, our options get very limited. Because we will always do what our Lord asks us to do. Now, I've got to wrap this up because you're going to throw things at me. Um, this sounds like a really spiritual, religious, like, I don't want to say, I don't want to do this because that sounds so religious and it's going to be a cult and they're going to make me drink Kool-Aid, right? So let me, let me just set you at ease, okay? Whether you like the principle of lordship or not, you already believe it because you have a job and you have a boss. And when your boss walks in, now I know I'm painting a, a negative picture here, hang with me, right? So when your boss walks in and says, do this. If you value your paycheck, you probably don't go, ah, uh, eh, man, I'll, I'll think about it. Right? I mean, even if you're self-employed, you probably don't do that. Best thing that ever happened in my life was I, I had a design studio for a few years. I was self-employed, which means I could work whenever I wanted to work. 
You know what I found out? That was all the time. Because you, you still got to make the check. You still got to make the money. Like, there's, you have to do this. Now, does that mean that we see Jesus as a boss? No. He's a Lord. He's a Lord who has a good plan for you, who has a plan for your life to teach you to be a, a, a disciple maker. He wants you to learn from him. He says, hey, are you worn out? Come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. By the way, the yoke was meant to help you work better. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's discipleship. He's Lord. The difference between Jesus and your boss is you don't really trust your boss. But we can really trust Jesus. He didn't just say to Peter, go, take your cross, die. He said, follow me as I go take my cross and die. We could trust that. And that's the last thing I want you to get today. Man, focus can set us free. Focus can set us free because focus helps us realize what matters most. It's all I've been thinking about this weekend because it's July the 4th, right? So we live in a free, okay, relative term. We live in a free country, right? Because years ago, a bunch of people got together and said, we can have a decent life dependent on England, or we can lay our lives down so that future generations can have a better life independent of England. And why would anybody go into fight a war against a bigger, a bigger enemy, a bigger army with no shot of winning? Why would anybody do that? Because they had focus. Like, independence is what matters most. And so we're all in on independence. And so they gave everything they had because they were all in. Yesterday would have been my mom's 74th birthday. I something about my mom yesterday. I miss my mom. And you know what I almost miss more than missing my mom? This is going to sound really ridiculous. And if you've lost a loved one, you're going to get what I'm saying. I almost sometimes miss the way it was right after she died. Not the pain, but the focus. Like, I would walk into church and hear people talking about stuff that, that I would have said a week earlier was important, but then it was suddenly like, why are you wasting time on that? That doesn't matter. I couldn't tell them that because they weren't where I was, and you just, something about that moment of, of a lot of pain and a lot of hurt it just brought clarity and focus. It was like, you know what? I don't want to waste my life on that stuff. I want to do what matters most because there's an end to life. Focus gives us resolve. It sets us free. There's always going to be distractions. But going all in helps us push past all else. The question is this, are you all in with Jesus? It brings us right back to Peter. So Peter's standing there with his, with his, his pals, right? They're hanging out, a little bromance with Jesus. And they're walking, they're talking about all this stuff. Can't you hear them? They're like, Jesus, man, everybody's saying great stuff about you. Everybody loves you. Man, some people, are like, they're saying you're like John the Baptist. Some people say you're like Elijah. I mean, like, Jesus, are you hearing this? John the Baptist. 
Elijah, they're saying you're like that. And they're just like all into it. Man, we've picked the winning team. I'm so glad, Jesus, that I can be a part of this with you. And while they're kind of hanging out with all that, and sometimes it's easy. I mean, look around the room. It's packed in this place. It's so easy. We go like, man, I'm all, I love what God's doing here. He's like saving people's souls. He's changing people's lives. I love them at the gathering. I love this. I'm, I, I, just, I want to do, but you can never build it on that. Here's how I know. Some of you are worn out. You're doing so much for Jesus, and you've forgotten him. And, and Jesus turns to you and all your busyness for him, and he says this, I don't really care what they say about me. Who do you say that I am? And we're called to make disciples, who make disciples. We're called to be near God, near man, and all about the process of making disciples. It is not a life that you nor I will stay true to if we don't resolve the answer in our heart to that question. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? If our answer is anything other than Jesus, you are Lord, we will fail. And here's why. Because any answer other than Jesus is Lord allows us to keep our options open in case we fail. Listen, come back this fall and we'll have a series on sexuality and you'll love me or hate me then. But let me just say this. The premise behind Jesus being Lord is not much different than getting married. There are days that I drive this woman nuts. Nuts. Pray for her. But I can say this because we talk. There are no days, no days that I worry if she'll leave. None. None. And I know what you're thinking. Uh, just give it some time. Get over that crap. She's not leaving and I'm not leaving her. Because we're all in. If I come to her and say, baby, I love you with all my heart. I get down on my knee. Would you make me the happiest man in the world? And sign this prenup. <laughs> I, meeting you has been the best thing that ever happened to me. It has changed my life. I've never felt more like a man than I do with you. Would you, um, would you just take this key and move in with me? Where's the foundation? All we're doing now is just making sure we have a plan B, an exit strategy, in case maybe I read you wrong. I'm just telling you right now, we'll never make disciples like that. Come try this church, man. It's fantastic. Like they got orange walls and a map. 
first time there's a problem, I'm going to find another church. I'm all in on Jesus. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And if you're not really convinced that he's Lord, if the answer to that question, but who am I to you, is my shot right now, the first hint of trouble in your life, you'll become the people that say, I tried that once. And you're going to stand in front of God one day, and he's going to say, you had one job. You have one job. Make disciples. Well, I tried this and that. I tried to pop the question. She wouldn't sign the prenup. You had one job. Who do you say that I am? When Peter said, you are the Christ, here's what he said. And then we're going to pray. Ban, whoever's coming up, y'all come on. I've always wanted to do that. So when he said, and she married me, what was she thinking? When Peter said, you are the Christ, let me just tell you what he was saying, okay? Back in that time, in that culture with those words, he said this, you are the Messiah, right? How many of you heard the word Messiah? You ever heard that word? Okay. So it, you've maybe heard it, it means the anointed one, but here's what it means, it doesn't just mean, we, we like to highlight the word anointed. The anointed one. It means the anointed one. That's it. I'm not looking anymore. That's what Peter said. Jesus said, who, who am I? Well, you know, like you're, you're this and you're that. And they say that you're Elijah and you're John the Baptist. But, but I say, I say, they're crazy because you're the one. And I don't have to look anymore. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. The only one. And I'm not looking anymore. Peter didn't sign a prenup. He went in. All in. And I'm calling you to go all in. I'm, I'm not so naive to believe that just because you're at our church, you've settled the matter that Jesus is Lord. I am convinced that you're at our church because you're at least convinced that this is something you should explore. But I need to ask you this morning, who is he to you? Who do you say that I am? Are you all in on that? Can you say Jesus is Lord? And, and if you cannot say that, hey, you're welcome in our church. But I'm just letting you know, all the things you're going to hear in these, these daily devotions, all the stuff we're going to teach this month and months beyond this, they're all built on a foundation of, I've settled the matter, Jesus is Lord. Because it changes everything. Yeah, I know, they were, they were kind of counting on me today to like greet people at the door, but I'm really tired. But He's Lord. And he's not just Lord over you, so you should come and greet people. He's Lord and wants to be Lord of the people that you're greeting. It changes everything. I, I know I'm supposed to like give some of this money to God, but like, I, I really want to have pizza this week. But he's Lord. I know I should probably walk across the street and tell my neighbor, like, hey, but I think I'll just go like to, on a mission trip instead. <laughs> but he's Lord. It's not about what you want. And we're all in on that in every other area of our lives except this one. And if you've ever done exercise, nobody wants to exercise. 
Nobody really wants to do CrossFit until they've done it and they look in the mirror and go, dang straight, that's working. Nobody wants to, but we do it anyway. Well, I don't do CrossFit, but we do it anyway. We, work, we do exercise because we, we want the benefit. We, we override the feeling to do what we know we should do. And that's what Lordship does. Just close your eyes and bow your head. Let's wrap this up. We're going to go into a time of communion. We've got a video that's going to play. We're going to have four stations where you can come, two in the front, two in the back. We've got men that are going to serve you. We've also got men that are, um, and, and that just want to, want to pray with you. Sometimes we rush through communion. Today I don't want to. Today I want to call you to really consider what I've talked about. Is He your Lord? Not do you love Him. Not are you trusting Him to save you. Is He your Lord? Like when Jesus says go, do you say where, when, tell me, just point and I'm going. Is He your Lord? And this is a great time to work through that. And some of you could be here today and you're like, I really, I think he's my Lord, but I'm in a place right now where it just makes me, I'm the doubter. I am the doubter and you're the worshiper right now and, and it's just where I am. When you come and you take communion, man, would you please just, just slip to the side after you take communion just let some people pray with you. Just let people pray with you. I'm in a place right now where I, I know he's my Lord, but I just, man, it's hard. I'm picking the cross up and it's hard. Maybe you're here and you've not settled that matter. That card that we have in front of you that has a box that says, Today I choose to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is about lordship. Following Jesus is you saying, Whatever you say, wherever you tell me to go, whatever you want me to do, yes. And I'm going to call you today to say yes to that. So God, before we even begin to think about communion with you, we just want to wrestle through and, and resolve this matter. You're not asking us right now what the city says about you. You're asking us, who do we say you are? God, I say you're Lord. Jesus is Lord. And everything changes past that sentence. You're Lord over my finances, my marriage, my feelings, the things I want to do and don't want to do. You're Lord over my, you're Lord over my job and, and my money and my health. You're Lord over the four things that cause Americans stress. You're Lord over all that. You're Lord over politicians. You're Lord over, over laws and flags and things that go up. And you're Lord over all that stuff, God. You're Lord of it all. But today, I want you to be Lord of me. Because that's when I'll make disciples. And until then, God, I'll fail. And I don't want to fail you. Not in this area. While your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you this one question. I just want you to respond with your hands and then we're going to move on. How many of you today would say, yes, I have failed. I feel like I'm failing God in this area. 
and I want to repent of that, I want you to put your hand up in the air right now and simply say, that's me. Just as an act of repentance. You put your hands right back down. Here's the beauty of the cross and grace. is that as we go through this, this month of focus, we're going to learn that discipleship is probably a lot different than what we think it is. It's actually doable. It's actually doable. And it all starts with saying, your Lord, your Lord, your Lord. So God, these hands that went up, I pray that as they receive communion this morning, as they, as they come and as the song says, come to the river, all who are thirsty, come and drink. God, I, I pray that this morning as they come, they would bring, I'm one of them, God. We would bring this failing feeling and like, oh God, I don't want to feel this again. But the truth of the matter is, some days we're going to worship and some days we're going to doubt. But all day, every day, we're called to make disciples. And I just pray that today would be a beginning, God, for us. When we just open our hearts to you and say, you know what? I'm not quite sure where we're headed, what, you're, what it's going to look like, but I know this. I know this. Jesus is Lord. He's the only one. I'm not looking anymore. Going all in like that, God. Thank you that, man, when we do that one thing, when we're all in on that one thing, we can't get distracted by everything else. And I just pray that communion today more than most months would be about that simple relationship. We take the bread and we dip it in the juice and we begin to, to chew that, God. I just pray that you would solidify in our hearts this relationship that we have with our Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.